Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first Wednesday morning Drop Zone podcast we've had in an extremely long time. Can't remember the last time we did it. We are fresh off of the six American Ryder Cup captain's picks. He's Dylan. I'm Sean. We're breaking down everything right now. Dylan, what's your first reaction? The U.S. team didn't screw it up yet. This part, Sean, seems uh, it seems like they got it right. That's my first impression. All the picks made sense. A lot of people, including myself, got kind of swept up in Kevin Na fever for a moment, but Scotty Scheffler is... Why did you allow yourself to get swept up in Kevin Na fever? That was that was remarkable. Absolutely crazy. Everyone on golf Twitter was like, this guy is going to be different. He's going to be the one who makes the clutch putts. Explain yourself. I don't. I I, re, I issued a retraction before the picks came out that said I was in on Scheffler, out on Nah. So I would just you know blame it on just a fever dream, and um, you know Kevin Nah is very convincing that he will be a pain in the ass in match play <laughs> when he's like walking in these putts on people when he's playing well down the stretch and he's played pretty well the last couple of weeks. Played very well at the Tour Championship. So. I think we overstate Look, the value of walking in putts. <laughs> like, like I think it's, this may be true, but you know, if someone else had won the tour championship or say, even if the tour championship had been a different format, everyone started from zero and Kevin Na won the tournament. I yeah. wonder if anyone would think about it any differently because yeah. that is effectively what happened. I think a lot of people just give him credit for the way that he occasionally walks in putts. He's 87th on tour this past season in strokes gained putting. Barely above average. Why does he get so much credit for for making putts? You just said it. You know exactly why. <laughs> a he was he was pesky at um at the match play and then B he just walks in all these putts. And when he's going He's going. He does seem like a guy that's particularly streaky with the putter. Hard for me to back that up with stats right now, but again, yeah. that's either just the impression he gives off, or it's reality, and it's hard to say which one. Um, well, let's 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 talk about the picks, man. We gotta tell the we gotta tell the people who were actually picked. Uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> three minutes into the podcast, and if you're listening to this without actually hearing the news. Apologies for that. In the order from least to most surprising, Jordan Spieth. Yep, least surprising for sure. Xander Shoffley next. Tony yep. Finau after that. Yes. H- Harris English after that. Mm-hmm. And then the final two, I would say the least surprising would be Daniel Berger being selected and then maybe the most surprising being uh, Scotty Scheffler. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. And he was probably the favorite to still get picked. I think it sounds like from, you know, reading between the lines of Stricker's press conference, Patrick Reed was strongly considered. It's not clear who else was really considered for that spot. But, you know, there's been plenty of chatter about potential fits. I was worried just because of this, you know, old guard you know, boys club mentality that we could see a Webb Simpson appearance here just based on like experience. But I was pleasantly surprised to hear Stricker basically throwing out this idea that that experience matters, which is what, you know, the the drum that I've been beating. (laughs) Stricker said, well, you know, rookies have 
played incredibly well. He said, you know, maybe they've been 40 and 29 and seven or something like that um, in the last several Ryder Cups. So, look, it's not bad to to have some fresh blood on the team. They really do have a bunch of it. Yes. It's a young team. Half of it. Half of the team will be rookies. And we talked about this weeks ago. And this is why I was campaigning for Webb Simpson, or at least I believe that my fellow Wisconsinite Steve Stricker would go with Webb Simpson is because you've got Colin Morikawa, zero Ryder Cup starts, Patrick Cantlay, zero starts, Xander Shoffley, zero starts, Daniel Berger, zero starts, Harris English, zero starts, Scotty Scheffler, zero starts. Half your team will be experiencing the first tee at a Ryder Cup for the first time in their lives. And I we talked about it weeks ago. No one is going to disagree with the fact that it's just different. It's just different at the Ryder Cup. You will never have a more intense first tee shot probably of your life. Uh, maybe maybe if you're like, you know, a one-shot lead on Sunday afternoon in the final group at the Masters. But the first tee at, at, at the Ryder Cup is just different. So will these guys rise to the occasion? You have to put confidence in the fact that they're just really good players. You're talking about a two-time major winner in Morikawa, gold medalist in Xander Shoffley, Patrick Hanley, who just won the FedEx Cup, uh, led the entire tour championship from uh, Monday through Sunday. Um, Scheffler has never won on mm. tour, but is an absolute dog and is top 10 on tour in birdie percentage, which is what you want when you're sending people out in four balls. Um Daniel Berger, I think, might be one of the biggest dogs. Like he, he is mm-hmm. he kind of a savage. He, yeah. And then uh, Harris English, gosh, I could totally see Harris English like sitting the entire first day or something like that. This team is is has got a lot of talent. I would it. like to ask you, Sean, just quickly before we we get to you know some potential pairings and some potential pods. I just want to buzz through and ask you how pissed various. Uh, Various players should be that they got left off this team. So yep. let's start with um, Keegan Bradley. <laughs> Keegan Bradley does not uh, is not upset because he knew he wasn't getting picked and does not have an ounce uh, of deserving in his in his case. Like it's okay. not, it wasn't going to happen. Not even an ounce. Good, good try. Will Zalatoris. No, he really kind of. We lost track of him. We, we don't really see him on the TV. Like he lost guys, the not plot. the FedEx Cup thing didn't help. Yeah, so he should not be mad either. He's he'll have Ryder Cups in his future. Sorry, Will. Uh, Phil Mickelson. I think Phil is a little bit upset, <laughs> knowing who Phil is. He tends to he likes to needle, and he's the kind of guy who likes to use his career stats as the ultimate trump card in any debate. Mm-hmm. And you know what he did this year? He added to those career stats with his sixth major. He had probably the most uh, thrilling victory out of the entire PGA Tour season. And he did it at 50 years old uh, on a course where he's swinging out of his shoes and hitting, trying to hit bombs, whatever. You could do that at Whistling Straits. Um, he is a smart dude, though. And so he knows it wasn't going to happen. So yeah. I think he's a little bit upset, but he doesn't really deserve to because he hasn't done it. He's got one top 10 this year. He'll be there as an assistant captain. I mean, obviously he knew before today that he wasn't going to get picked uh, once he got that captainship. Um, Billy Horschel. 
Yeah, Billy Horschel hasn't played good golf this past summer, so he does not deserve to be picked. He was kind of lingering it. around for a little while. I think some people see him as a dog. I'm not sure I do. But no, Billy, I didn't really even see him in a lot of uh, mock drafts even really get mentioned. So, um, all right, a couple more. Yeah. Kevin Kisner. I think he has a pretty he, – he deserves to be upset because mm-hmm. – here we are again. Kevin Kisner's played in the President's Cup. He played well in the President's Cup. He won. If you tell people that, oh, yeah, you won on the PGA Tour within a month of captain's picks being made, generally those guys are like, well, gosh, I'm in really good standing. Um, yeah, I I would say he has a bigger – he deserved to be on the team more than Kevin Na. So I think he should be upset. How about Kevin Na? He also he deserves to be upset, but uh, the bottom line is like play better at some point this whole year. Mm-hmm. Win, win at some point in twenty twenty one. Then we'll start changing our minds on things. It sounded like Stricker was taking a long view from his comments. He when it, when he was asked about Kevin Na, he basically said, Look, "Literally a long view. Yeah, Hit the ball long. Well, that too. Yeah, yeah. But he said, look, he he was nineteenth on the points list." He's not long off the tee, but then he did add, you know, but who's to say, you know, he easily could have gone and been like one of our best players, but sounds like he did not fit the mold they were looking for. Um, yeah, that's a pretty smart take by Stricker. Totally. Because one thing will, one thing is, is certain Ryder cup captains don't really matter once they've decided who's on the team. They really don't. You, you send out 12 of the best players in the world and they either play good golf or they don't play good golf. And you can make a couple decisions here and there, try to make people comfortable, yada, yada. That's why they that's why they employ so many assistant captains to kind of take a little of the heat and pressure off of them. Um, but once he made his decision today, he's like, yeah, Kevin Na could have played great at Whistling Straits. We don't really – we'll never know if he would have or wouldn't have. That's what happens when you have so many good Americans. Like I've been telling you for months, we have too many good players that we have to choose from a huge list of potential options, and it gets really tricky for the captain. I am uh, I'm running out of steam on this exercise, so I'm just going to feed you the last three names altogether. Sam Burns, Jason Kokrak, Webb Simpson. They were 13, 15, and 16 in this points list. Any of them deserve to be uh, upset, snubbed, etc.? Sam Burns more than the other two because mm-hmm. that guy, that guy's played some really, really best golf of his life, better golf than some players on the team. He's had a better summer than Dustin Johnson. You know, like you end up looking at these, some of these automatic qualifiers that have played pretty good golf, but Sam Sam Burns played better golf than in the last three months. Um, there's just not enough room on that team. That's the bottom line. Sam Burns played a lot of good 54 hole tournaments this season, like a lot. Sometimes you take a round off. Sometimes you didn't quite close it out, but whew, when he gets going. Well, he lost he lost a playoff to Abe Answer and Hideki. Like sorry. That's tough, man. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Patrick Reed, final snubby. Patrick Reed doesn't necessarily deserve to be really upset. However, I think he will be really upset. He has the Ryder Cup record that he has. Um he calls himself Captain America. He flies around the country toting the flag. This guy is, he is the Ryder Cup embodied. Um, but 
when you look at his body, it's kind of been tatters lately. And wow. uh, it has been like he has not been he has not been in good health. And I feel bad for him. Like it, it felt kind of fluky, but he hasn't played a lot of great golf. And he and he's just he gave Steve Stricker probably four five, six outs <laughs> like, hey, I just had a bout with pneumonia in the hospital. I haven't played that great of golf. I did that thing in Paris. I did that thing <laughs> with my caddy in Australia. Yep. He gives Stricker all these outs. And uh, I don't know which one stickers Stricker exactly took, but when you give a guy like a a captain, all they got to do is take the outs and and stay even keeled and not rock the boat, and that's exactly what Stricker did. Yeah, Stricker mostly stuck to you know cliches in this press conference, but he did say a couple interesting things, including that you know he looked a lot at how guys will pair well with others and how they are in the team room and. He wasn't talking directly about Reed when he said that. And he also he? said the uncertainty of, you know, Reed's health and his lack of play led to his decision. But, you know, if that was a factor, we have not been inside the team rooms, but certainly we know that Reed has, you know, he was lighting matches on the way out of Paris. And it's just a little bit more awkward. It's a little bit more charged when he's involved. I think the craziest thing is going to be if Kepka doesn't play, does Patrick oh, Reed end boy. up on this team after <laughs> all? Just the way he's he the parachuted favorite, right? into the Olympics. Is he just the ultimate backup American this year? Yeah, he has to be the favorite, right? Steve Stricker openly said, I lost sleep over the Patrick Reed selection or you know non-selection. He lost sleep over it. Now, whether that's truth or cliche or what, that's what he said. And so if this is a guy that Steve Stricker was thinking about having on the team, if Kepka can't go, it's got to be Reed. It's got to be Reed. You heard it here first. All right, let's get to the guys that are on the team, Sean. And I'm wondering if there are any pairings that you see that are already mortal locks. We 100% will see them at the Ryder Cup. Spieth and Thomas are playing together. Mm-hmm. Book it. Th- that that makes all the sense in the world. They are two of your best players, two of the best players in the world. They played extremely well at Paris in the Ryder Cup. They have such ridiculous history. They're they're they include each other as their best friends. That's the mortal lock, right? Totally. That's number one. I think T1, though, is is Xander and Patrick Cantlay. They are pals. I think they're going on vacation in Napa together this week and uh, then heading over to team practice, Whistling Straits, on Sunday and Monday. Pretty funny that these guys are all trekking across the country to meet up in Wisconsin for a couple days for like a little mini camp, but I guess it's a good idea. Oh, it's brilliant. Um so Xander and Cantley played together at the Zurich Classic in New Orleans. Can't really forget about that. They, mm-hmm. they mesh well together. Their games are so solid. Their games are very reminiscent of each other, both very solid irons players, just completely all-around ball strikers. Um, so those are two players, or two teams, right, that will, out of the four that we see going out in the first session. What about Tony Finau and... Scotty Shuffler. Wow. I like that a lot. Birdie makers, just crazy birdie makers. Stricker did cite Scheffler's um, 
Scheffler's ability to make a ton of birdies is one of the main reasons that he's on the team. Um, but I was wondering, yeah, I was wondering if they're going to do some sort of longhorn thing with him and Spieth. I think at Whistling Straits, some courses you wouldn't necessarily want to put two big hitters out in the same pairing. But I think, you know, there's no real reason at Whistling to to worry about that, especially in the uh, four ball format in like the best ball. Maybe alternate shot. Maybe maybe Scheffler's not quite as consistent as some of the other guys. He's a little more up and down, but yeah, I love that. My One of my biggest questions looking at this team is, who does Bryson play with? <laughs> you could have substituted Bryson's name for any number of the automatic qualifiers. Who does Brooks play with? Who does mm-hmm. DJ play with? Who does Morikawa play with? Uh, but your question's about Bryson. Oh, man. Harris English? <laughs> Maybe... Maybe DJ. Wow. Maybe you, I think the play is to put them out in four balls. So they're playing their own ball. They don't even really have to be close to each other. They kind of just have to dap each other up on each tee box. And DJ is trying to make birdie on his own. Bryson's trying to make birdie on his own. I don't know. Who, who, who's your answer? Harris English? Come on. I mean, you sort of look at the guys that, he, he paired with Tony Finau at the President's Cup, right? Didn't go that well. <laughs> he paired with, what, Tiger and Phil in Paris? Didn't yeah, go didn't that well. <laughs> and if you look at some of the guys that he plays with regularly, they're not really on this team. Um, no. <laughs> Bryson and Reed would have been a fascinating pairing because I think like the American fans, it's almost like, you know, two two controversial figures together turned Wait. into like fan favorites. Like people would lo- would have loved them that week. And I think people are will we, love Bryson this week wearing the, the Stars we, and Stripes. Are we narrowing it down to him playing with Brooks? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. That's a complete joke that will never, ever, ever happen. I don't think Morikawa makes sense. I think DJ could be... Something I think you could be onto something there. I kind of like <laughs> no, that. No, I mean, yeah, that I think I think Finau could could end up handling the gig, even if it didn't go well in you know Melbourne. Mm-hmm. This is a completely different golf, completely different golf course than that. Absolutely, completely different, completely different than the Paris golf course, right? Could not be more different than the Paris golf course. Uh, it sounds like you know Stricker said they had a couple ideas for how they were going to handle course setup to uh to give the americans a leg up i assume that just means like wider easier (laughs) yeah well more open yeah i mean i went up to whistling straits last august i believe and was Mm -hmm. talking to the to the caddies out there talking to the head of uh, director of golf out there and they were telling me that look stricker was already out here in may june of 2020 they widened the fairway on the ninth hole, which kind of goes down this hill and then gets really kind of tight towards the green. They widened that a little bit mm. so that, hey, we, we want to hit driver off this tee. They widened the fairway on the par 5 11th, and there's all kinds of tee boxes that you can use on that one. But, I mean, look for Bryson to absolutely wail away on 11 and take what is going to be a pretty preposterous line. He's going to try to probably go driver pitching wedge on 11 because um, the fairway also runs downhill. And then they added rough around greens on two, on five, and on nine. 
So what's the point of adding rougher on the greens? Well, if you miss the greens in a tightly mown situation, the ball rolls down into a collection zone. You end up having these cheeky little pitch shots that European players play along the ground. They're mm-hmm. actually really good at it. Oh. You add some rough around these greens and all of a sudden the ball gets caught up in the rough and we just pull out the 60 degree lob wedge and up and down for par. Um, so that was as of last year. Who knows what Stricker's done in the last 12 months since then. Um, I can only assume that he's made more changes. So this course will be ready for American golf. Um, what we don't know is what Mother Nature's going to do because Whistling Straits, Wisconsin, Lakeshore Golf at the end of September, early October, that's very unpredictable. You know, I think people look back to Hazeltine up in Minneapolis and they, they forget how nice the weather was. It was a little chilly, if anything, in the morning. But by the I mean, Patrick Reed still wore a T-shirt on the first tee at 7 a.m., and it got very warm by the end of the day, so everyone was pulling off their, their cold gear. Like It was extremely nice in northern Minnesota. It's just not a guarantee. It could be crazy. It could be sleety. The wind coming off the lake right into players' faces on the first tee. It'll be something. One of the traditions of Ryder Cup is seeing like just how heinous they go with the the outerwear and the the rain gear in particular. So I definitely hope that we see a little something. Um, I think with Tiger off the team, the like sweater vest emphasis may have dropped a little bit on the U.S. side. Mm. But man, if I'm setting up this course for the U.S., I would just put the tees where you have to cover a bunch of 290 yard bunkers because these guys are bombers especially now with Scheffler it's really it's almost everyone except for Morikawa um and English I guess is a pretty big hitter Speed's kind of in that in between zone uh but a, a bunch of these other guys just hit the hell out of the ball definitely not the case for team Europe so Mm -hmm. I would push the tees back or put it to you know the point where if you can fly it a ton off the tee, you can take advantage, get in the go zone. And if you can't, then you're stuck in no man's land. So I think there are definitely, there, there is a clear, clear power advantage. Team Europe mm-hmm. may have other advantages, but I mean, do you feel confident about the, this U S team? I guess that now that, now that the squad is assembled, I know you were, I know we were looking at this team last week and kind of, you see a bunch of damaged goods. You can put a bunch of kind of <laughs> asterisks around the, uh, automatic qualifiers. Do you feel good now looking at this team of 12? Yeah, I do. And it's so funny how you just add a, just a little bit of a, just confirmation to things. And you get Stricker talking about course fit. You get Stricker talking about the analytics. You get him talking about guys that he wants to pair together. Suddenly, you just have a lot more confidence. Um, it all seems to make sense. Now, the thing with the Kevin Na debate, the fact that he played well against 29 competitors in Atlanta, um, the thing that kind of misses me is that by the time you tee it up on day one, Friday at the Ryder Cup, Atlanta will have been almost three weeks ago. There's still a big break in time between now and then. There's this training camp, essentially, um, where American players will be visiting Whistling Straits in the next couple weeks. That's because not a lot of them have played Whistling Straits. That is the core reason why 
they're making this trip and you know that's just nothing is guaranteed about form when you have two week long breaks so I think that we get super, super wrapped up during the playoffs and like who's playing well, who's not playing well. Dustin Johnson could be the best player in the world in two weeks. He played well at Whistling Straits every single stage of his career when he's played that course. It could be Spieth. You know, it could be Scotty Scheffler. Guys played really, really well at the major championships all season long. Let's cue the the good Drop Zone listeners in on a conversation you and I had in person Mm -hmm. four days ago. Uh, the question was, who's the best player on the American team? We know who the best player in the world is. It's John Rahm. And we know that over the past four or five Ryder Cups, the European horse was Rory McIlroy, right? He was going to play every single match. I'd be mm-hmm. shocked if he doesn't play every single – I mean, like you can't sit Rory. This is one of the benefits of the European team just not having as much depth as the American team. Right. You start to they feel will guilty. play Rahm. They will play Rory at least four Every sessions. single time. Hopefully five. It'll be five. You know what would have to happen for one of those two dudes to sit? (laughs) You know how bad they would have to play? Maybe Rory is playing bad. Uh, But when you look at the American team, who's the best player on the team? It's Patrick Cantlay or it's Xander Shoffley. Is it though? (laughs) Like you're you're talking about two people who've never played in this event before. And they're going to be paired up together. I mean, I don't know. Is maybe it's maybe it's Jordan Spieth. I don't look. I think it's Spieth. I don't look at any of those top five names. I mean, you know, Justin Thomas. If he was in better form, I would be more confident in him. But is he in bad form? Well, his putting has not been good, and that <laughs> seems really bad. That seems important for a Ryder Cup. Um, but it's so it's interesting. Yeah, it's not the guys that have necessarily amassed these big results in in the past couple of years. It's really the guys that have been playing well in the lead up to this event. I don't know. I mean, Patrick Cantlay definitely has us stuck in this prisoner of the moment thing, and he did you benefit from a couple asterisk me. wins over John Rahm, but he's playing <laughs> well. Xander continues to play pretty well i mean he won the olympic gold he's been a little uneven nobody is peaking in the way that john rom is clearly peaking he's clearly going to be the best golfer at this Ryder cup and i think that's important to remember we haven't even really mentioned the european team um but the americans have a bunch of guys that could all potentially be the alpha dog and that is either a good thing or perennially a bad thing yeah john rom you would have to to saddle him up with Victor Perez in order to make him a non-favorite in every match he plays at the Ryder Cup. All due respect to Victor Perez. They have the best player in the world in their team. And they have Roy, Roy McIlroy, who has been one of the best Ryder Cuppers every single time. And they have they just have a really strong team that is kind of similar to the Solheim Cup European team that are just kind of rounding into form mm-hmm. right now right ahead of this biennial event that we we seem to dominate the world rankings for a long time and then suddenly we're down three and a half to to one half and it's like oh gosh we're on the comeback trail once again it is funny how with the u.s team there is still you know so much emphasis on statistical breakdown of who's playing the best of you know really who deserves to be on this team and then 
when you look over to Team Europe, you're just like, yeah, well, yeah, they'll probably just choose who they want. They they won't really look at the standings or the the results really. It's just you know they'll they'll take their guys, and everyone seems to kind of just get on board with that. Yeah, and it tends to work. And so. it tends to work. I think that's uh that's probably good enough of a hypothetical discussion for mm-hmm. an event that's not going to be here for another couple of weeks. Uh, we will definitely preview the Ryder Cup way too much between now and then. Exhaustively, um, so. have a, a lot of guesswork. Do we have any final thoughts on the other golf that we never covered on the drop zone this week? Yes, the Solheim Cup was really fun. Um, it was. It was not rewarding for American fans. It was sort of a classic American display. It was rewarding for me. It was, it was very rewarding for me because, you know, our faithful, faithful, faithful listeners mm-hmm. will remember that last week we bet a steak dinner on Team Europe versus Team USA. And I took Team Europe with all the confidence in the world. And you said that Team USA was going to blow them out. And instead, you owe me steak. My only my only defense is that I did say Leona Maguire was going to be the best golfer at the match, so I feel good about that. She was the woman in the match, right? Like not even close. Far and away, earned four and a half points. No one on the U.S. team earned more than two and a half points. Again, with and then team- she smacked around Cupcho in the singles. Mm-hmm. With that Team the, Europe, that was the you, crowning you, moment. You get some you get some people on these European teams that just get the chance to play all five, be a star. You see it in the, in the Ryder Cup. You see it in the Solheim Cup. Team USA, you just got too much talent. People spread it around. I think everyone played three or four matches. No one played five. And then that talent, all of a sudden, maybe it's not quite as good as he thought. The putts stopped dropping. I mean, look, it was fun. Um, Inverness showed off well, I thought. The course setup was a good combination of... of you know, pars winning some holes, birdies tying other holes. We saw a bunch of eagles. Still couldn't figure out if the second hole was a par four or five, but uh, but yeah. I liked the way they varied the course setup quite a bit. It uh, it made it feel like some holes were major championship tests and others were, you know, a bunch of drivable par fours. That's why you listen to the drop zone because we go to these courses months in advance. We tell you Inverness is going to be great. We give you drone footage of how great Inverness is. And then it, Hey, it shows out to be really great. We should play the drone footage on the podcast. Kind of next level audio experience. (laughs) You'd really love it. Do you have any Uh, thoughts on the, the $15 million man, Patrick Cantlay and his new Legion uh, of fans, Sean? Yeah. Well, Hey, Patrick Cantlay, he won over a lot of people. Um, I think because you're kind of his biggest hype man, you, you, you dive into those press conferences and really appreciate the monologue that he gave about Bryson, social media, Patrick Cantlay opened his mouth kind of mm-hmm. for the first time and, and told everybody what he's been thinking about. Well, you know, that'll always did. get you some fans. He hit this, this exact zone that we've seen other guys hit. We've seen, we've seen Justin Thomas there. We've seen Brooks Kepka get there. Uh, I think we saw Xander sort of get there and then maybe he kind of backed away from there. It's like this point in your career where you win exactly enough where suddenly you just feel empowered to say whatever you want. And you feel yeah, like were... you, you deserve the floor to kind of expound on on the day's events. And you become like a pundit player. And yeah. 
he Patrick Cantley seems like he hit that spot. He seemed like you know he realized that he can he can think out loud really, and uh, people will appreciate it. So credit to him. One of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard was from a member at uh, Chicago Club in uh, in Chicago, great city of Chicago. It's actually in Wheaton, Illinois. But I was I played there a couple years ago, and the member told me, "Look, if you're a member here." For the first five years, you don't get to have an opinion. <laughs> and then a- after those first five years, it'll take another five years before you can share your opinion. Mm. So you don't get to share your opinion publicly around the club in terms of club, uh, anything revolving the club um, until after 10 years. And that that's kind of what Patrick Cantlay is seeing. Like, you know, first couple years on tour, you, go, you don't get to have an opinion. But after a couple wins, a couple years on tour, suddenly you can share your opinion. And uh, it was it was kind of a, a coming out party, so to say. But I would be shocked if he stays that way forever. He seems so even keeled, so uh, monotone, for lack of a better word, that uh, I could see him kind of recede into his shell a little bit. But I hope not. I hope had not. Fun with him. You reminded me of another of my favorite quotes, which was watching Patrick Cantlay as he was winning the memorial in, I guess it would have been 2019. Yep. Coming down the stretch, and uh, on Sunday, he was in contention to win, and he was looking like his normal on-course Patrick Cantlay self. And someone from the crowd yelled out to him, come on, Patrick, it can't be that bad, can it? Because he just looks so miserable <laughs> all the time. And he kind of grinned at that, and he uh, he talked about it afterwards. But that was pretty funny. That's where I'll leave our Drop Zone listeners. All right, well... Um, tell them, tell them about what got published yesterday. Sean, we went to Maine, didn't we? Yeah. We've talked, we told people about our trip to Maine. That content is finally live as of Tuesday night. It's on YouTube. It's on golf.com and, uh, in numerous articles moving forward because we had a great time. And what was so great is the reception to that on, on Twitter, uh, was a bunch of people being like, finally, someone is mm. writing and, and doing videos about the golf in Maine. The golf is very underrated. That's what we found it to be. And it was fun to hear people that are from the Northeast kind of be like, look, we've been we've been telling you about this for a long mm-hmm. time. Finally, someone took us seriously. Yeah. I mean, like my, my fellow New Englanders are just happy to see Maine getting some love, uh, getting some golf love specifically, I think. And we're excited to kind of keep covering under covered or underappreciated golf destinations. But I think what we found in Maine are three of the best public access courses. Maine, Maine does have this funny thing where some of the private courses are public access. And so we played a couple of those. Um, so we basically laid out a pretty terrific golf trip that you could take from the greater Portland area. And uh, I hope people go watch it, uh, read the article I wrote about it, which kind of outlines the whole trip and uh, the thinking behind it and just know that there's more good stuff coming so you know i don't know sean maybe people could leave a a five-star review maybe tell us the state you think we should go to next tell us the captain's picks that we got wrong leave us a comment on youtube that has uh that doesn't call us pampered white boys because that's what someone did and i was not appreciated the truth hurts sean it always hurts the closer you get to the truth and uh And also just the comments always hurt, period. So thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about.